0: going on everybody. Welcome to this very special edition of the mini break podcast. I am your host Cale Hammond. I'm a writer for Tennis Channel. So instead of the typical mini break podcast where we're going to go over you know scores and results and breaking news and picks and stuff and you know discuss the matches. I've got a special interview that I'll get to in a second but first um, let's look at some of the qualifying results from the U.S. Open. Right now in Winston-Salem, it's uh, unfortunately a rain delay. And that tournament is so close to the U.S. Open, as it is, the last thing they need is a, is a big-time downpour like they're getting right now. That's going to be make for some interesting matches, probably a lot of defaults towards the later half of that tournament if they're unable to finish play. We'll see. It'll be interesting if they go indoors. Wake Forest certainly has indoor courts, but the spectating there is a little different than what they've got set up outside at that new beautiful stadium. So starting with the women, uh, we got American Caroline Dolehyde winning her match in straight sets, advancing to the final round of qualifying. Other than that, uh, Christina McHale, American, she unfortunately went down 6-4, 6-4. Asia Muhammad advanced uh, with the withdrawal. Nicole Gibbs was supposed to play Robin Anderson. I'm not sure why Robin Anderson pulled out, but Nicole Gibbs advancing to the final round of qualifying. Sasha Vickery, unfortunately, lost 7-6 in the third. She was actually up 6-4 in the third set tiebreak. And her opponent was cramping and called a medical timeout, which is, you do not get a medical timeout for cramping, uh, especially in the middle of the tiebreak. So she's sounding off on Twitter. She's just going crazy right now. It's pretty entertaining stuff. So go check out if she hasn't deleted some of the tweets. She is taking on all comers right now on, on the Twitter waves. It's pretty funny to see. On the men's side, unfortunate day for the Americans. Mitchell Kruger goes down. Jason Jung goes down, even though he plays for Taiwan. He goes down 7-5 in the third to Jiri Vesely. Noah Rubin, unfortunately, goes down. Um, he's from Barbados, but he's spent a lot of time playing in the States. Great, nice, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Darian King advances to the final round of qualifying with a 6-1, 6-4 win over Adrian Menendez. Yannick Sinner advancing 7-5 in the third. That guy is a machine. He doesn't know how to lose right now, and I would not want to play him in the first round of the U.S. Open, assuming he wins his final qualifying match. So moving on to the subject at hand, this interview that I did with Deadspin writer Geary Nathan. He is personally he's my favorite tennis writer out there. He is for sure the funniest tennis writer out there. He's a brilliant guy, Princeton graduate, using his brain power to cover sports in a way that it, tennis especially needs to be covered because he doesn't take it so seriously. He's able to offer really unique perspective and insight, but w- without taking the sport so damn seriously like the tennis media is known to do. Um, so we discuss you know, how he crafts his pieces uh, we are going to start off talking about the Nick Curios meltdown in Cincinnati. We recorded it the day after. He was exactly the person I needed to talk to about that historic record setting fine that he would received um, for his outbursts against Karen Kashnov in Cincinnati. Uh, that didn't sit well with him. This guy is a big Curios fan. He does a lot of work covering Nick Curios because Nick Curios always does deadspin worthy breaking viral type stuff. But what he did in Cincinnati was pretty unfortunate, and and he just said it was it was kind of gross. And I kind of I agree with him. We also delve into the subjectivity in tennis, these governing bodies. You know the lack of transparency, ATP, WTA, all of the tournaments. They can sort of do whatever they want. They don't really have to offer much rhyme or reason behind it. So we talk about the Bernard Tomic unprecedented fine at Wimbledon where he was fined his entire first round check even though he won 38 percent of the points against Joe Wilfried Sanga that didn't really sit well with me you know as a former player I wasn't necessarily a professional but I was a good player I grew up playing with a lot of these guys and look if you make the tournament you make the tournament that's what he played the court he finished the match doesn't really matter how you do it you know tanking is part of his game anyways and Wimbledon Really doesn't like him, and so they just said, Okay, sir, we're going to take all of your prize money, and I, I would expect that legal action is going to be following that um, closely. And we also talk about the Tommy Paul wildcard situation or lack thereof. And it didn't age quite as well because unfortunately Tommy lost in the second round of qualifying, but it's still an interesting discussion. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm happy that we can give Gruskin and Jamie and all of our guys a much needed break. And without further ado, here's Gary Nathan. All right. Well, Giddy, Giddy, thank you so much for coming on. Did I get that right? It's it's yeah. That's that's spot on. All right. So Giddy is a Princeton grad, a Deadspin writer. I, you're you're probably my favorite tennis writer um, out there. I said that to you last time, and I, you got all bashful, but don't. You should own it. Um, <laughs> all
1: right. I'm about to own it this time. Yeah. yeah you got to own it.
0: <laughs> own it this time. So so look, you are you're one of the. Um, Preeminent, uh, most prolific Curios authors out there. Um, yeah, you, you sort it's of. Sp- a,
1: uh, it's a painful art to practice, but yeah.
0: <laughs> so I, I wanted to start this talking about you know the big Sitsiposs feature you did when I met you at Indian Wells and what he's like, but we'll get to that. I, I just need to know after last night, what does what your Nick Curios meter look like? How how are you feeling? What what are your thoughts on that whole situation?
1: Yeah, so I I, I think I've been, for the last several years, I guess, trapped in this loop of, you know, frustration, then there are a few flashes of success on the court, then you start to build up hope again, and then he does something stupid, and you start the whole thing over again, Um it's, you're kind of just stuck in this loop if, if you're a fan of his, or at least interested in seeing him on your TV, which I guess is two different things. Um, but I'm both. I, I, I want him to succeed, and I like watching him play. Um, but I honestly think I reached a breaking point last night where not only was I frustrated by what was happening on the court, I, I was genuinely bored by it. Like I I I just I finally bored totally bored by
0: it <laughs> it was just boring you were ready to switch it off after that that's what i was just watching the espn broadcast and darren cahill said that 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 you know he he does appreciate all the entertainment value but last night was was he he, he was ready to turn it turn off the channel
1: yeah like uh, there i mean curious has a lot of critics i think most of the criticism of him is dumb i think i said this last time but the one thing that really bothers me is when he is rude to the kits on the like the ball kits and uh you know handing him towels and stuff beyond that i i could really care less about most of the stuff he does but when he was just i couldn't believe how long he continued that rant at murphy last night about the serve clock like in the beginning it was kind of funny and okay you made your point the comparison to rafa okay that's kind of funny but he just couldn't let it go it, it, it i think that joke went on about you know 45 minutes too long. <laughs> yeah. And
0: in DC, the, 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 guy, there was someone in the crowd who said something and it, and he literally went on the entire set and, and totally, yeah. totally tanked the set and was talking to that guy every single time. And he just, you know, he just has this inability to let things go. What yeah. is? do you think that's purposeful or do you think it's gotten to the point where like, you know, something might be, yeah,
1: that's, might be wrong. That's, that's interesting. I think, you know, there are a lot of armchair psychoanalysts out there. I'm one of them too. When it comes to Nick, but it does seem like he's sometimes trying to get himself engaged in a match and kind of fired up. And maybe one way he does that is by, you know, stoking some totally stupid and baseless, uh, you know, fight with with the ump. Um, but I don't know. Like, how could that possibly help him? It, it could have only distracted him. He, he couldn't let it go even well into the third set he was still ranting about it and uh, I just
0: and it, it, he he does he does have a point though with with the with sure. the Nadal thing because I mean he clearly Nadal takes way longer it takes you know probably 15 oh, 20 yeah. seconds longer than he does and he's just but I mean yeah when you're playing a match and you're focusing on that you're in you're in rough shape and also Ka- sorry what were you gonna say
1: I think we're about to say the same thing but uh they showed the average times in between points on serve. And I think Kachanov was serving even faster than Nick was last night, at least. Um, But yeah, I mean, Rafa for sure has this whole routine and gets a lot of leeway with it. And uh, I mean, there are one, the nice thing about Nick is that he sure he's complaining all the time, but maybe one in every 10 times, he shines a light on some actual instance of unfairness or different treatment or, you know the stars getting one kind of treatment um, versus just the rest of the tour um, but that's kind of like a monkeys on a typewriter kind of thing it's not i don't think it's yes. always super intentional
0: i'm not i'm not done with this curious stuff yet but that does bring up a good yeah. gu- a good point about um, i sort of wrote about this yesterday about the inherent subjectivity in tennis, there's so much subjectivity all subjectivity. across all across the board, and none of the other sports, as far as my knowledge, are like that. But you, you, yeah. you obviously write about tennis a lot, but you you cover other sports as well. I don't. Um, what what do you quickly? What do you think about what do you think about that? The subjectivity in tennis.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, yeah, you know, there's so many judgment calls that the empire has to make on the fly. And it does seem like their overall incentive is to keep the match going and kind of um, you know, make sure that this piece of sports and entertainment can actually proceed and the fans get their money worth and the sponsors are happy and the athletes are okay and whatever. That's the sense I got from last night, is that Murphy could have easily dinged him for the point penalty way earlier. I, I was almost relieved when he finally did give him the point penalty. But I got the sense that he knew if he did ding him earlier the you know the whole match would be lost and it would have just spiraled out of control um even earlier than it ended up uh, yeah (laughs) even
0: even earlier than it did and so circling back to the curious thing um i i thought i was telling people this yesterday that kachanov is the perfect opponent to cause a curious meltdown because he's not you know a huge name guy he is top 10 or he was top 10 i'm he's floating around there right now But he is really, really good. He's really solid. He competes every match. But he doesn't have that big name flair that Kyrgios loves, you know, collecting those big name scalps. He's got a winning record against, you know, the top five players in the world. And so, and, you know, and for lack of better words, you know, Kachinov is sort of a hard ass. Like he, he Yeah. He competes in and out every point and it's that's just like the perfect opponent where Nick's gonna have to go through hell and back to beat him, but without the sure. glory that he gets with beating, you know, Fed right, Fed right. Nadal and Joker. So you I see that oftentimes, yeah. And
1: I think even someone like Steph has a little bit of a more flash to his game and maybe his name is getting a little bigger that Nick could be satisfied, um, taking him out, but maybe this one didn't offer the same at, payoff for for him
0: yeah i mean i completely completely agree and back to the subjectivity in tennis yeah. i want to know your thoughts on on what what um i was really upset when they find tomic when the all england club find oh, yeah. tomic his entire first round prize money
1: that was um, nuts
0: because look i mean yeah it looks one way but he he still won 38 percent of the points Right. Against Sanga, who was playing a good match, and Songa's right. really, really good on grass. And part of part of Tomic's game is to do that, is to act like he's completely tanking to throw For his sure. opponent off. So it's just sort of, I couldn't believe. I think there might be some
1: legal action coming down the road. I think there really should be. I mean, how do you make the judgment call that what is he, he's just moving too slowly? That's how he literally how he's played tennis his whole life. Like, I don't understand what the standards were for for a decision that has such a huge bearing on the player's finances yeah it has
0: it's a, it's a huge deal and then um circling back to that point i mean so they find him his entire first round of prize money sanga played against nadal and right. and he and he same same deal he he won exactly. the same percentage of points and he got blitzed tomic is one of the fastest players on tour and Nadal's one of the slowest. So obviously, you know, the match was 45 minutes longer. I think the fact that right. it was under an hour was just like, okay, you know. But but in the, you know, and there's there's now that we have three instances in the last couple months of te- the subjectivity in tennis just saying, like, okay, Tomek, we really don't like you. We're going to take all your money. Um, yeah. Nick Kyrgios, we hate you. Uh, you. You're a nightmare for us. We're going to make a statement and fine right. you a record setting amount. Even though right. you see an uh, instance like David Nalbandian at Queens Club, you know in 2013, or... is that
1: the one where he kicked? Yeah,
0: where no, he yeah, actually yeah. seriously injured a linesman right. and he gashed his leg. and The guy was dripping blood all over the place. Yeah. So that, to find him more than that, then you find a guy who actually you know like opens yeah. the flesh of a linesman, oh. and he kicked the thing. It's not like if you watch that clip, Nalbandian. I've seen it. Yeah. I mean, th- there's a there's a wooden board six inches sure. from the guy's leg, and he kicked the shit out of it. Yeah. So so that's another interesting thing. And then another one is where where the USTA not giving Tommy Paul the wild card when he's the highest ranked American guy not to get in. Right. And um, you know, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but there's clearly some stuff that happened between Tommy Paul and the USTA where they go, "Okay, we don't really like you either, so we're going to take all your money too." I mean, it's wild cards are, you know, in essence a gift and no one, you know, yeah. but but at the same time I mean, the, the players sounding off on that was just, you know, a bit, it's just like the, the players are pissed about it too. I mean, there's so many governing bodies and so many things in power in tennis that it's just there's too much subjectivity, I think, and I don't know how,
1: how to fix it. It is weird because you we think of it as just such a, you know, clear-cut meritocratic game. You know, there's two people going up against each other, um, and then whoever wins, wins. But there are, yeah, everything besides the two players you mean the the umpires on the court the governing bodies um everyone else has just like different incentives um and i think yeah the three examples that you brought up are are great because they just show that there there aren't clear standards that are being applied ac- across the board for all these players i mean wild card business is too, pretty sketchy if you ask me and uh you know they got traded agents get favors um, it's often the standards are totally unclear sometimes you'll look at the list of wild, wild cards and one of the names will just be totally confounding there's like okay that must be some kind of under the table deal that i don't understand like that's the only possible takeaway and then,
0: do you know about the you know the 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 wild cards in between the countries the one that Kakanakis
1: got i'm like i didn't even know those existed the reciprocal right. wild cards Right, right. Yeah, there's, there's just so many different reasons you might get one. But um, yeah, in in Nick's case, there, there was. I, I actually think in for. I think he gets way too much, um, way too harsh penalties for the most part, uh, for for his stuff. But I, I, I do think kind of last night he, he did go above and beyond his usual performance, and I was expecting he spat at the on. Um, why right? did he exact? I was just about to say that. Yeah. why did he spit? Yeah, that that's I don't know. Uh, the, the, it does feel like that does warrant kind of another level of punishment, but
0: yeah, and, uh, and they're reviewing it still. So you know, they, he probably will get some sort of suspension. And then the way things are going, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they suspended from the U.S. Open and
1: take another six yeah. and take another well, six, sixty grand from him. I guess here's my sort of cynical take: is that that he's too big a draw to count him out uh for, you know, the biggest tournament stateside. Um so may- maybe they'll try to just go super hard on the fines and uh try to keep him around. But I don't think you really want him gone from the US Open because like it or not, he is, you know, one of the names that draws huge crowds whenever he's playing. Yeah. The spitting thing
0: was tough. I mean, I call I call Nick the Happy Gilmore of tennis, and I'm I'm pretty pumped yeah. about that comparison. I think it's going to catch on. But even Happy Gilmore didn't spit on a guy, you know, right? I, like, I, he's I not like on the guy. Yeah,
1: he's going beyond Happy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he, yeah, he he's he's crossing the line with it. Looking and bottom line is that spitting spitting is never is never a good look.
1: Yeah, like he he's I've you know I've watched probably I want to say like. Eighty, ninety 90 percent of this guy's matches over the last two years he he's he goes at it with the ums. sometimes it's light and even funny a lot of times it's a little annoying last night was just truly a little bit just gross and uh the the disrespect was beyond any kind of logical point it was just i can't believe you're still beating this dead horse in the third set of this match
0: yep Yep. And then, and then, uh, so like one of, one of my favorite quotes of yours was a curious piece when he beat doll in Acapulco and you said the 23 year old played through the aches and pains and tapped into his talent, a roughly quarterly miracle and cause for celebration in some small dumb cult circles. His typical <laughs> season is nearly uninterrupted marathon of disappointment, but these sporadic victories refill the tank in parentheses for more future disappointment. I never said it made sense. How, after last night, how, how do you feel? Has yeah, your stance changed I, at all?
1: I honestly think I, I I reached a point like I I looked over. I told my friend like, you know, I can, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Usually, even the disasters are entertaining to me, but I'm just so exhausted. I just wanted to see this tennis match to, like come to a normal conclusion. And <laughs> I mean, the, they they do make for great clips. Um, we we wrote about those clips because just you know him going off to the fake bathroom break and coming back with, with two broken rackets. That I gotta I gotta give that credit for innovation, um, creativity. Oh, I mean
0: uh, I was crying la- I was right, I had yeah, to write an article that, that, today. That stuff is amazing. I was crying laughing because I had to pull all the clips <laughs> and I was watching them for the first time and then and then I was writing and I put in quotes, You you are a potato with arms and legs. And I was just <laughs> I I had a tear in my eye. I was laughing so hard. So I mean it is and you know, the last thing I think we'll end on this is that, um, you know, obviously the obvious, good for the sport, bad for the sport. But look, my right. I had I had several friends that never watched tennis text me last night. They were watching. Yeah, they sure. were watching his match. And I had a friend who lived in D.C. and they said they were trying to figure out which one to go. I said you have to go see Paz Kyrios, and they went right. and he saw that epic match and boom, yeah, a tennis match. fan, a tennis fan for life because of that right. one moment. And so I think I think that. Look, if if my friends who don't like tennis are texting me and watching tennis, that means right. a lot to me.
1: Um, yeah, I I totally agree. I I think like he undoubtedly has a gift. You know, both on the court, the way he plays is immediately engaging, even for someone who doesn't know understand how the game is played. They see this guy going through the legs. They see him hitting drop shots, hitting the ball hundred miles an hour. Like it's very obviously compelling stuff. Um, but I think I'm personally reaching a point where you know for a long time i would like to be kind of an apologist for him or defend him against a lot of the critics but it's just getting to a point where it's it's exhausting and i it's not like i wish him ill like i still hope he can figure it out and have a solid career but for me feeling that deep investment in him as a person I think it's is starting
0: to fade a little bit. It's like a relationship where like uh, someone gave me some good advice and they're like if someone is if someone is consistently reckless with your emotions you <laughs> you have to cut it off. And that was some good advice that that I've I've, you know, practiced and it's it's served me well. If someone's reckless and at this point he's just, you know, just completely reckless with 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 everyone's emotions. So I think we can wrap that up. That was that was pretty yeah. fun. Um, so I do want to talk to you about your Stefano Sitsipas um, profile feature that you did at Indian Wells when I met you. Um, yep. it's called uh, the Stefanos Sitsipas channel is always on. yeah and you you had some good you know you had some time with him, you got a lot of good stuff. I just want to know like what's he like? like what did yeah. you glean from the thing? like what's your takeaways about the you know what is in a, in a few years will likely be you know the most interesting man in tennis.
1: Yeah, Um, I think it was an interesting time to catch him in his career. Um, Obviously, things had moved really fast between even those two Indian Wells in 2018 and this year. Um, He was something like number 91 in 2018, and then coming into 2019, Indian Wells was a top 10 player. Um, And I think he was still navigating that, and seeing him, you know talk about all his vlogging interests and all that while balancing the new fames and fame and pressures of being a top 10 player was very interesting and I think my favorite part of it is that we're going to see this all play out kind of in a public spirit because he does love to share kind of his inner life all the time whether that's you know cycling someone else's quote on Twitter <laughs> with no attribution, or it's publishing these 30 minute like videos, um, I think it's going to be a fascinating look into kind of the inner life of a player that we rarely get until after the fact when they write their, you know, tell all Agassiz style, uh, autobiography, but we, we rarely see it in real time.
0: Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, your, your piece was on him was, was great and you're able to, you're sort of able to write about tennis. I talked about this last time when on the interview that I botched the audio where, um, <laughs> You're sort of able to write about tennis, but you're able to do so from like a different perspective, where you're you know you're simultaneously poking fun at a sport that takes itself a little too seriously. And I want to talk about you know like what you think about like you, you wrote in your in your piece, you know tennis play. I believe it was tennis players are sheltered almost by necessity. And that was something that i found when I started working in this industry. It's like that the, you have this access to the players, but it's, it's like, mm-hmm. it's not that easy. Like it's like the, yeah. it's like, it's, it's way harder than it should be. And I'm sure it's more difficult than, you know, like, you know, locker room scrums in other sports, right. where you can sort of ask whatever you want. It's it's, it's really interesting how these players are, are handled. What are, what are some of your thoughts on that? And, you know, in relation to Steph?
1: Yeah, it definitely is interesting. I've, I think getting access to these players um, can be super tricky in a way that makes you feel that the tour is almost paranoid or just worried that anytime the, the athletes aren't handled with kit gloves, like something bad will happen. Like I've had someone from the tour tell me not to ask about specific topics when I was going into an interview with a with a with it was actually with Marcos Baghdatis. So it's kind of a situation where you think this guy is nearing the end of his career and uh, you know would be able to talk openly and honestly about a lot of stuff. But still, there was kind of this reluctance. And I, I think it doesn't always serve the sport because people do like to see, especially now more than ever, um, a less filtered, uh, a little more open, a little more raw side to... these personalities and I think if we're just trying to get these perfectly curated always positive sound bites all the time um, it can make it harder for a fan to get into the sport Um, so just I mean from a writer's perspective selfishly obviously I I, want to have access to all the little moments and you know watch the players interact with other people go through their day kind of without being super conscious that they're being watched by, by a writer um, but it is hard to come by that with, with tennis players. Um, it can be tricky. Part of it, I think, is that, yeah, they're, they are individuals and they don't kind of operate as a team with team media obligations and that kind of has its own structure to it. Um, whereas these guys, once they lose, maybe they're off to the next event or they're taking vacation or they kind of have, uh, their schedules up to, up to their discretion. Right. So. And it's interesting for me because I was, I
0: was a good tennis player. I wasn't good enough to, to, you know, to make it as a professional, but I played with a lot of these guys and I know a lot of them in, and, and I'm telling you, man, like, especially the guys, you know, 25, 30 to a hundred in the world, like they don't care at all. They want all the attention for they sure. can get. I yeah. mean, tennis players in general, are you know by nature somewhat self-centered because they sort of have to be. I mean, it's all right. it's been all about them and their performance the, their entire life. And I'm telling you right now, no tennis player like hates attention. Right. Oh, Naomi Osaka may act like she doesn't like all the press <laughs> conference, and but I saw through that little charade in an instant. I mean, she <laughs> she, she 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 loves it. I th- what do you think
1: about her? Do you think she likes the attention or not? Because she yeah, certainly. I, I, I love like you know how she engages with the press, and I think it's super funny. And you can see a huge difference even in the last year, you know, from when she gave her, uh, speech, amazing speech after winning Indian Wells, um, to now when she's kind of, giving these, thoughtful and like very sensitive responses to questions, um, in press like. She's clearly picked up a little bit of the savvy and lost the kind of that enduring awkwardness. Um,
0: yeah, she fancies herself a comedian. Right, <laughs> right. For sure. So whenever, you know, people say she doesn't like prep I'm like, no, 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 no. She don't don't be fooled. Right. She she absolutely loves
1: it. But I, I think to a larger point, for sure, these players do welcome any anytime you can reach them in a way that's like not mediated by the tour, I find like they're generally pretty open to it like if I were to just go up to one of these players and start talking to them they they're happy to talk about whatever um it's just when you go through all these formal channels sometimes it can be a little chilling and you know the publicist is orbiting your table while while you're giving the interview and it's like uh it just feels a little stilted um maybe not the most natural environment for a, a back and forth kind of chilled out yeah you know and
0: then you're second guessing yourself I mean just for me in terms of like players I've I've DM'd, you know, on Instagram a bunch of players and and right. almost everyone's gotten back to me and especially especially um, I met I met Bianca Andreescu when I was covering a challenger tournament in January, a tournament that she ended up winning. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was doing social media at the time and I and I recorded a video of her and I was just a flabbergasted by how good she was and how powerful yeah, she was. was crazy and, good. and and you know, the her slice and her heavy shots and her drop shots and her all court game. And so I just did a couple tweets and a couple posts, just like, yo, watch out for Bianca. She's the real deal. She came up to me after the, after that. I was like, yo, thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate it. I love this. This is so cool. Well, and then, and then like, just I did like one tweet, she loved it. And then before she was, you know, super famous. And and now I have, you know, a great connection and contact just because, right. just because of that and the players love it. And especially doing the Instagram stories of, like, at Indian Wells with, like, the practice courts, you know, where you have the unprecedented access. Right. Every single player is reposting their stuff. It's not like they don't like it, you know. For sure. Every single player is reposting it, and they love it, and half of them respond to it, you know, with some for sort sure. of laughing emoji or what or whatnot. You can tell they want more of it.
1: Yeah, I think that's totally right, especially the the coming generation of players. I always joke that, like, Nick is the first, like, do-it-for-the-gram tennis player who like has his own highlights up on his Instagram within like 40 minutes of the match ending. Um, But I think it it could become more and more common as, you know, they see their athletic talents as like part of building up a general brand identity um, and like definitely are open to talking to reporters and writers and whoever about, about all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, you see, like, just in Cincinnati right now, it seems, it's, the access there seems amazing. I've never been, yeah, I would like I've, to go. I've never
1: been, I've been told it's great.
0: But, I mean, I'm looking at these, uh, like, my friends who, you know, are working for these media companies that aren't, you know, aren't even really companies yet. I mean, like, the Cracked Rackets, which is a great account to follow. Yeah, they do great work. Yeah, and, and they're, 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 they're sitting with Federer at a table, and they have a video right. camera on them. Right. It's just unbelievable. I mean, that's like that's just it's worth its weight in gold if you're a tennis media company to get that. Yeah. I mean, it's worth it's worth any amount of money to get that kind of access. So, yeah, yeah we're, we're we're definitely on the same page. You know, as far as I think I think tennis would be well suited to stop, you know, taking itself so damn seriously. Yeah. And yeah, and I you know, can, do everything it can to, to to help grow the sport. Um, by any means necessary, you know, I think. I mean, and that brings me to my next point of like your writing style because you're able to write about tennis without taking it so seriously. So quickly, I just want to know like for my, maybe just to help me as a writer, but like yeah. what goes through your mind, you know, when you're crafting a story and like what, what you, you think is worthy of writing about and what's not. I mean, you. I know you work for Deadspin, so you've got, you know, the big breaking stuff you're going to cover, you know, the, sure. the crazy controversies you're going to cover, but uh, just in general. Like Take me through your writing style and how you're able to write about it in such a funny, interesting, but also accurate and, from a tennis
1: standpoint, technically correct manner. Yeah, so I think I have two main objectives when I'm writing um, about sports in general, but tennis in particular, too. Um, I think that trying to treat it with a kind of light but... uh, insightful tone is what I'm going for. Um, definitely have some fun with it. Like like we kind of have established, it can be a pretty self-serious sport. So you want to keep some you know levity in the tone at least. Um, and then this, besides the humor, I, I think I try to write with a strong visual sense. So to help describe what's going on on court for a, and I, I think that has benefits to readers of all, levels of familiarity like if you really know the game then maybe some of the words that I say will click for you in a way they won't for a more casual reader but that reader will be able to understand just generally what I'm describing about the angles or the spin and maybe their appreciation will be enhanced so I try to go a little bit I try to go descriptive and visual because tennis does have a smaller audience than a lot of the other sports we cover but I think that could be easily that gap can easily be closed if you um, are a you know thoughtful and patient, I guess, uh, interpreter of, of what's happening on the screen. Yeah,
0: and talented, I guess you could add for that because <laughs> your, your stiffness. There's so many lines in the speed. I could only pick a few. But when you were talking about his his physical his physicality and you know his tennis build, you said he carries that generically lean tennis frame that seems to stock exactly as much weight as needed to hit hard and move freely, not a pound miscalibrated in either direction. And I read that after having seen him in person for the first time, and you hit the nail on the head because if you ever see him in person, you say, oh my God, this guy was crafted by God to... Be an incredible tennis player. He's like almost six five. He's flexible. Right. He's super strong. He's got these crazy broad shoulders, huge pec muscles, and and he's able to hit in such a loose, you know, sort of Federer-like manner, you know, off both yeah, sides. Nice. And I, I was just impressed by you know because because I know you played, and it was just like it was just really cool to see that level of accuracy and also the way you wrote it. And then in the other line about his his forehand, which spoke to me was it's hard to read, hard to discern whether lightning will strike inside out or inside in. And that was so cool to me because when I watched him play, you know, when he was coming up, I was just, he was just, when he gets in that ad corner with the forehand, you have no idea where it's going because he hits it so late. And he's got that grip that allows him to hit the ball behind it. And it seems yep. he does what every good player does. It's really, really difficult to do is when he's able to see, you know, with their peripherals, what the opponent is doing, which way they're leaning, right. and he's able to rip it inside out or inside in. And his inside-in forehand is by far his best shot and one of the most, you know, unstoppable shots I've seen come along in a while. And it makes sense because he's already, you know, top top 10 in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah, when I watched him play, I did, that was that specific you know he it's i wouldn't call it a hitch but it's its sort of a little delay in in his contact on his forehand and it does kind of throw off your expectation of where is he gonna hit it like i can't really prepare my footwork or get moving in one direction because i genuinely don't know because he does have that grip um as you said that does allow him to make contact just that split second later um so that's a Instance of you know I, I see something in the court just just during warmups um, and you want the reader to grasp that and I think a lot of my favorite sports writing is trying to communicate that kind of detail that helps you understand a player on a more kind of granular or like intimate level understand their game um, it's it's really little bits and pieces like that that paint a portrait of a player more than Kind of the more broad stroke stuff because that those words apply to all tennis players, kind of. Um, so what I what I was trying to do there is point out what makes him a particularly hard to read player. Um, and I, I did find his forehand very distinctive, especially hit from that position, like you said, um, from that ad corner. And I've I'm not a good tennis player at all. I, I played for I play for fun now, and I played uh, growing up, but I I did play enough to just be able to detect those kind of nuances um yeah 100 percent. there are levels and layers to it that i'm sure i'm, I'm missing and you being a high level player probably pick up on a lot more but i think just to help a reader get even that base level of nuance is is super helpful yeah, and, and I
0: pick up on some stuff, but there's a lot of stuff that you know I don't pick up on. I'm I'm friends with the the Harrison brothers. They're they're uh, they're super nice guys and yeah. one, one I don't know if you saw this, but Ryan tweeted during the Fed match against Nadal at Wimbledon um, when when he te- when he lost that set 6-1, he mm-hmm. tweeted something like Federer is losing this set like you know on purpose, but he's doing so in a manner that's giving Nadal absolutely no rhythm for, no rhythm, f- for right. 30 minutes. And right. and then when he comes out, it'll be interesting to see if Nadal's rhythm is disrupted because Nadal was right. playing well. He got up those breaks and then Fed just said, All right, this set's yours, but I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna F with your I'm gonna F with your game right here. Right. And it Fed came out immediately broke and
1: won won that won that next set and I was just like, Okay, that that's pretty cool. And I I love that stuff, and I think it makes the game a lot more engaging for for viewers who just want a slight, you know. The next step beyond just the the big narratives. Um, Who want to see kind of the games within the game?
0: Yep, that's a good way of putting it, for sure. All right, so that that's that's fun. Let's let's move on. I think there's la- one last thing that we can sort of touch on, and it sort of goes into the you know the the state of tennis and media and stuff. And that's like, you work for Deadspin, so you're definitely able to get away. With saying like <laughs> things that I can't say, like right. you, you know, you can say certain players choked, and right. I absolutely I wouldn't even think about writing that, you know, for a Tennis Channel article just because that would right. just be a firestorm. Um, but that and you know, like it's just interesting because I don't. You guys probably don't, but Tennis Channel often gets caught in this predicament of are we a news organization or are yeah. we a partner to the ATP? in wta Uh, is there anything that you have to deal with like that at deadspin or is it pretty much you you know you can say what you want?
1: it's pretty clean kind of the whole ethos of the site is that uh, it kind of operates without any favor or concern about access which i i think is freeing in a lot of ways because i can kind of go in there and write whatever and not have to worry about whether our feature next year is gonna is gonna work um or something is whether that will hurt the relationship so i think it it doesn't um kind of hamper me in particular but i definitely notice in the tennis media in general it's more so because i think it's a smaller world and there's a lot more overlap there's just a lot there's kind of just rampant conflict of interest all over the place um because people have so many different roles within the tennis world. Um, My favorite example is that I was just watching like the Australian Open. I think it it was at the semifinal stage. And, you know, ESPN is doing this big analysis of the players. And at some point, one of the analysts just has to stop talking because he's coaching one of the players (laughs) that they're talking about. And it's just a weird level of I, simultaneous conflict of interest, I guess. I would yeah, say. that happens. And, that happens at Tennis Channel a lot. Yeah, yeah. Where it's not even like, oh, they used to work with this person. They're like, oh no, they're like, they are literally coaching this person right now and next week and whatever. And I think that th- that's just the most obvious example. There are obviously softer forms of that too, where um, I think people are afraid to maybe hurt relationships because it is a small world and uh, you know the relationships are are, are are important to people in a lot of ways but it, it definitely hampers the objectivity of
0: yeah It recording it, it, sure. it does and and you know a couple examples for us is like you know we like it's like we have you know the curios crossing out Novak's shirt. And, and we post that on social media because it's social media gold. But then, you know, we get a call from somebody somewhere and it's like, yo, you guys need to take that down. Um, And we're like, um, excuse me? Like he posted it on his own account. And then it's just, it's just out there in the world. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Why can't we get the clicks too? But it's just like, okay, because ATP and WTA literally provide us with 100% of all of our content. Right. You know, so if sort of they want something done, it's sort of, you know, you have to take that into into account. Like, we took that one down. We probably should have kept it up because he had it on his own page. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, you, you, you put it, well, like, how are you going to put that toothpaste back in the tube? It's not like, you can't just pretend like the yeah. toothpaste isn't, isn't all over the place.
0: <laughs> and and then Sloane in Charleston, she won a match and she was feeling good. And she's dropped a couple F-bombs in her press conference. And, right. and she actually tweeted that on her account too. And so we also did, we put it up on social media and then we get, you know, we're at a WTA tournament and then like I walk in and everyone's looking at me because I'm the tennis channel guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm like, yo. She posted that on her own thing. Okay, come on. Right. Like, like, no, no, no. And then there's another example. I don't think I'll get in trouble for saying this. It's pretty funny. It's not. It's not crazy. But so you know, we had the tennis channel had the show, the ten, um, which you know counts down. You know, it's just you know a standard a standard countdown countdown show. And this one, you know, it was for a promo. We had, you know, Illustrator come in, and that was one of the cool features of the show is that we had some cool illustrations, and the guy, you know, painted uh, or, or drew Federer in, a, in the Serena cat suit in, like, the, the image with, you know, all the, all the historic players. Uh-huh. And that went up to, you know, the board or whatever, the ATP, you know, our, our you know, ATP relations guy, and it, and it was just, like, hard no. It, it, yeah it's just like hard no and it's like what it is literally you've seen Shea Serrano's books like the illustrations yeah. for, it's literally yeah. the exact same thing is Perfect. like the cover for you know basketball and, and all right, things right. like it is that style of animation in it and it happened it, it's great viral content you know it's hilarious it's hilarious Federer's wearing the Serena cat suit and it was just like yeah no not gonna do that and it's just like well look this is interesting but like you know Federer is obviously a legend he should be respected but at the same time you know Federer is not you know giving it given us any exclusives you know? Yeah,
1: and he's—I would say—he's not even the most uptight guy about that kind of stuff. Exactly. Anyway, we were—we yeah. were all debating. We were like, we think Federer would think that's hilarious. Yeah. So I—I—I I, I mean, I've—I've I've have all of like two and two minutes of uh, one-on-one <laughs> FaceTime with him, but I, from his general reputation, I feel like he wouldn't be the one like writing to his agent like, "Oh, like please take this image down." Like no, he—he's—he's no. he's got enough, you know. Hardware on the shelf that where he doesn't need to uh, worry about his image constantly. And we don't know how seriously
0: he takes himself, but he acts like he know he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's he's exactly yeah. He, he's pretty. So before we end, you got to tell let I mean tell us more about that. You you got to, you got a one on one with Federer. So. You gotta we oh, can yeah. we can end on that. What's what's he like? How'd that go? Just break that down for us and then we can wrap oh, this man. up. Because that I because was... he just lost to Rublev and I gotta go write something. So I saw that
1: too. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to talk to him about Steph because they had played uh so many times, I think uh, at that point in the year. They played at the Hopman Cup and then they played um in sorry. My my memory's failing me right now. Uh, They obviously played in Australia um, with with Steph beating him there. And so I wanted to get his insight. A lot of analysts like to draw a comparison between the two because Steph does feel comfortable moving forward and has this good all-court style and uh, likes to finish points at the net. So I was asking Roger about how he feels about that comparison. And talking to Roger was amazing because (laughs) he's just so gracefully like you know correcting my factual errors that I'm making <laughs> and like almost answering all my questions on the rise like i'm like taken aback by how good his uh and accurate his responses are and kind of scrambling to come up with my next question but he was uh he was fun he i had about a, a hallway and a half to, to talk to him in between like tv spots and um he he really does make you feel like you're the only person in the world with him at that point, which is I can understand why he's charmed so many writers and just general media people over the ages, because he, he listens to what you're saying. He corrects you if you're wrong. And then he like responds specifically to what you're saying too. Um, And he doesn't just kind of fill in the usual platitudes and stuff. Um, So he he had some really nice words about Steph. And then when I played them back for Steph, he was, Pretty. He seemed pretty uh, encouraged by them, too, but he does think that there is a big place in the tour for a player who feels comfortable finishing points all over the court and who has kind of the big components to his game the way Steph does. Yep. Yep. You know, the big ground strokes, big serve, and, a and yep. solid net game too. Exactly, sort of unlike the Zverev right now. where are we're,
0: we're right. co- coaching him at Labor Cup, and he's like, he's like, look, man, like you ha when you hit that big ball, you have to shorten the court. You have to yeah. step up in the court. You're six six. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You're, it, it, it was just it's interesting to see. Um, all right, so I think that's all the time I've got. I've got to go, you know, uh, get something out there um, so cool. people, people can click on it because sure. Andre Rublev, I mean, that guy, that, talk, about, talk about a nice little summer he's putting together. Yeah, for sure. Taking down some I, giants. He's
1: had, he, I feel like he had kind of a quiet 2018, but you, you always knew that he was a talented player. And yeah, everything.
0: he was hurt, and he would really struggle. He said he, struggled, he was strong. I wrote a piece about him struggling with depression. Um he did oh, okay. he he did a post for uh behind the racket, No Noah Rubin's um oh, endeavor. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting. I like all those things. All right, so yeah, I think I gotta go, but I can't thank you enough for your for your time and you know yeah, uh, have fun in New York. I hope the weather's good. I hope everything's going well. Um what's your what's your what's your Twitter handle? Let, where can where can people find you?
1: Uh I'm at Giddy Nathan. So that's G-I-R-I-N-A-T-H-A-N and uh, yeah should be preparing some stuff for the open soon so more tennis on oh, deadspin all right well definitely. once
0: that happens we'll have to get you back on i always love these you're one of my favorite people to talk to <laughs> thanks man yep awesome have a good one take care